here we go. Welcome into this edition of Please Bear With Me, your go-to podcast for all things Baylor football. My name is Scotty Swingler, and it is so good to have you in with us this week after Baylor wins in a thrilling fashion against Kansas 47 to 14 on Saturday night. And let me tell you, we're going to talk quite a bit about that victory because I think it was encouraging on a lot of fronts if you're a Baylor fan. A lot of things to get excited about. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. Was Kansas ever capable of beating Baylor? Absolutely not, right? But still a very encouraging start for the Bears, a very encouraging game one for the Dave Aranda era in Waco and just so thrilled that Baylor was able to get the win in outstanding fashion. Uh, I was at the game. It was a lot of fun. I want to give a lot of credit to Baylor for the way in which they handled getting fans into the stadium, the way they handled uh, a lot of things, really. I I loved seeing the fraction of the Baylor line they got to run. That made me really emotional just seeing that again in, in the current climate. I did have tears in my eyes when the team took the field, okay? I think uh, all of us have had a more strenuous, stressful, anxiety-ridden, just rough year than typical here in 2020. And to have Baylor football back in action after two postponements, to have just that little sense of normalcy despite some of the emptiness in the stadium, uh, man, it felt great. It felt really great. I want to thank Hobby Howell publicly, one for his tailgate. If you've never checked out the Howell tailgate, you're missing out <laughs> at a Baylor game, okay? And number two, for the club tickets. He gave me some Baylor club tickets uh, for my birthday. That was August 31st, and uh, my wife and I enjoyed that very much. So thank you so much, Mr. Hobby Howell. It was awesome. Got to catch up with a lot of people at the game. Saw your boy Q from ESPN Central Texas. We'll have him on in an episode here in the next couple of weeks for sure. It was good to catch up with him. And uh, just several other people at random who I haven't seen in a while. Being back in Waco and back at the game felt great. And let's talk about this game that Baylor played against the Kansas Jayhawks. Baylor did what they needed to do to get a win, and not only to get a win, but to get an outstanding win. And I put up an article on Thursday kind of summarizing what Travis and I discussed on the podcast last week. But, you know, how do you define success for a really talented Baylor football team against a really down-and-out or bottom-tier Kansas football team? And on my article, I said these, these were the four things I wanted to see out of Baylor to define success. I'm going to talk through them right now, tell you kind of did we check that box or did we not, and then we can break down a few other things here. So first of all, I said to define success for Baylor, you hold Puka Williams under 100 yards. Uh, I thought Baylor defended Mr. Williams pretty well. Uh, he did average five and a half yards a carry, but only 76 yards total. He did score two touchdowns and, you know, That's going to happen when you face an elite running back. Um, Kansas also did a good job using Puka in the passing game, lining him up at wide receiver and in the slot and having him run out of the backfield on routes. Used Puka really well. What surprised me, and looking down the stat sheet, you'll see this as well, I was surprised by how much Kansas used Velton Gardner, the uh, other tailback. He had 14 carries, same amount as Puka, but also had 70 yards, so a five-yard average for him. So I think on this box, you know, what defines success? You hold Puka under 100 yards. I think Baylor did that, so you check that box. At the same time, when you combine Puka with Gardner, uh, Baylor did give up 146 yards on the ground to those two backs. 
and I think that is something you will want to clean up just a little bit going into West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia's backs both averaging five or more yards per carry, and that's something I think Baylor can improve upon, but nonetheless, I think Baylor's defense did a pretty good job. Second checkbox in my article for how you define success against Kansas, I said, let Charlie cook. Now, there's two aspects to this, and one of them I think Baylor absolutely crushed, and the other I think Baylor absolutely needs to improve. So the first aspect of letting Charlie cook, I said you need to lean on your running backs. Lean on your running backs so that Charlie is not relied upon as much to run the ball, so that Charlie doesn't have to even throw the ball as many times as he did last year. You know, run the offense through the tailbacks and then let Charlie cook. For that aspect, Baylor absolutely did a great job. I think Baylor, and they said this in the postgame press conferences and interviews as well, Baylor knew coming into this game we want to lean on John Lovett and we want to lean on Treston Ebner. That's where our yards are going to come from. That's who our offense is going to run through. And they did that. John Lovett, 17 carries for 78 yards and a score. Not the explosive performance that you want, but a consistent number one tailback kind of performance. A very good performance for Mr. Lovett. He was reliable and consistent. Treston Ebner, nine carries for 36 yards and a score, but of course, more dangerous in the other aspects. Two catches for 53 yards. He was Baylor's leading receiver on the night with those 53 yards and a score. And of course, the two kick returns for touchdowns. Then you had Craig Williams come in there on the final drive and get 61 yards on five carries and the exciting touchdown. That guy, again, we said it last week, that guy is the closest thing to Lake Seastrunk that Baylor has had since Lake Seastrunk. And not to take anything away from Treston Ebner because he is dynamic and he is certainly at this point a more complete player than Squirrel. But uh, Squirrel Williams, keep an eye on that. I think he is going to demand some playing time as the season goes on. I think he's going to demand some carries and to get the ball. And if he can learn how to be a receiver out of the backfield, like Ebner has perfected. Wow, what a weapon for Baylor's offense. So as far as let Charlie Cook, I thought Baylor did a great job of running their offense through their tailbacks and limiting the touches that Charlie had. That being said, Charlie was not as sharp as I think I had hoped he would be. He was 15 for 23, so not too bad of a completion percentage there but only 142 yards and only one touchdown. I think we would have liked to see a couple more big plays in the passing game. And I think that's the thing. A lot of the passes were the short to intermediate quick throws, which we knew we were going to get in in Fedora's offense. I saw somebody tweet, and I don't remember who. I'm sorry if I'm not giving you credit here, but I saw somebody tweet, I think Baylor fans are not used to seeing routes and passing concepts that are designed to only gain five yards, six yards, right? But we had a lot of that, which worked. And and I think that's an important piece of what we'll do on offense. But uh, Charlie did not look quite as sharp as I think we had hoped. I think he will improve. I think he will look sharp. I think there will be more explosive big plays. And I was disappointed, I was, that there was a need, uh, and it happened at least twice, to use Charlie in a power run set you know, line him up, let him take the snap and just run behind a lead blocker into the line and, and gain a yard or two on fourth down or whatever. Man, I uh, it scares me. And, of course, he went limping off after one of those plays. Turned out to just be a bruise on his quad, so no big deal. But, uh, dude, I just feel like when you have all the tailbacks you have and even some of the guys like Fleeks that you can use in the backfield as well, uh, you don't need Charlie running that play. Uh, I mean... 
run a wildcat set with Lovett, let him take that two-yard pounding, right? Uh, run it, put Quaylen Jones in there. I understand maybe out of that power quarterback run set, you can do some trick plays, some quarterback jump passes and things of that nature, but I just don't think you need Charlie to do it. Put Bohannon in. Yeah, I mean, am I crazy? Fourth and one. I know you're trying to get to the line quick, but I think it would be equally, if not more effective, to trot Bohannon in there to take that snap and get that one yard. So I just, you know, I, I hate to be a negative Nancy on what was an outstanding performance for Baylor. I don't want to see Charlie running those power sets, man. And I know that's Charlie wants to do it, I'm sure. But I, man, I'd rather see him scramble when the field opens up for him. I'd rather see him throw the ball. I don't want to see him running those. So kind of an interesting way in which Baylor used Charlie Brewer. I'll be curious to see what he does this week on the road against West Virginia. Okay, back to the article. Third checkbox, how do you define success against Kansas? I said, don't turn the ball over, take the ball away. Baylor did an outstanding job of not turning the ball over. In fact, that was one of my biggest things from this game is that Baylor's offense didn't put the ball on the ground and didn't turn the ball over. Charlie didn't throw any interceptions, although there were just one or two throws that made you hold your breath. But uh, outstanding, outstanding game one for a team that hasn't played yet this season in such a crazy environment. I was really impressed with Baylor's ability to not turn the ball over. Again, on the other side of the coin, did not force any turnovers, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, you can look at that safety as a forced turnover in all in all reality because it is, but of course doesn't go on the stat sheet as a turnover. But you know what? When when you look at the fact that Baylor didn't get any interceptions or force any fumbles, there were a couple plays that were close. I think you had the one play where JT Woods went diving in and almost got a pick. Uh, there were a couple other plays where Baylor defenders were real close. Uh, the one play where the ball went bouncing up in the air, uh, Dylan Doyle was on the ground, and, and I don't remember exactly who went over there and almost got the interception, but a couple of plays there where I think uh, just another fraction of a second, fraction of an inch, and Baylor does force a turnover. And I'll say this because it's not in my little checklist here. Baylor's defense was outstanding. I mean, gave up the first touchdown on the first drive there, and then from there just absolutely shut it down. And what I was most impressed about with the defense, uh, two things. One, it was 11 men to the football. I mean, it felt like so many gang tackles. Everybody wants to be in on the play. Everybody wants to get to the ball carrier. And Coach Aranda even mentioned that in his interview with the Baylor broadcasting team after the game, J.J. Joe and John Morris and them. He said he was impressed that there were always 11 men getting to the football on defense. And again, it's a carryover from the identity that Matt Rule established, and it's something Dave Aranda is going to continue to build upon. And it was really good to see the heart and the hustle and the effort the defense gave. And that's something, again, I mean, you're just not used to seeing from Baylor teams six, seven years ago. And now it's the standard. And what a great thing it is. The second thing I was impressed with as far as our defense was the aggressiveness. So that includes JT Woods diving in to try to get that interception. It includes trying to get to the football, but it also includes the amount of blitzes that were called. I mean, Terrell Bernard just constantly coming on blitzes and getting two sacks, including that safety. Jalen Petrie coming off the edge. Ashton Logan looking great at that uh, hybrid kind of linebacker defensive end slot. William Bradley King coming in on third down and nickel situations and getting half a sack himself looking outstanding as well. Just really, really impressed with the aggressiveness of Baylor's defense. And against an Oklahoma, against a Texas uh, you're going to get burned a couple times doing that, but my philosophy is simply 
that to me is better than playing it safe all the time <laughs> and playing deep zone coverages. And it would drive me crazy with some of those Bryles teams when our cornerbacks would consistently line up eight yards off the receiver. Uh, we wouldn't send any more than the four defensive linemen on a blitz and teams could just run short route concepts on us all day and it would drive me nuts. And I don't think you're going to be able to do that against this defense. Really impressed with Baylor's defense. And then the last thing I put on this little checklist for how you define success, I said you have to show domination up front, and I think Baylor did that. Now, Kansas is a team you have to dominate up front. They don't have the athletes right now on either side of the ball. You know, you have to dominate them up front. I think offensive line struggled early. That was really obvious. You had uh, just a gaggle of guys rotating in there on that right side where you had three starters missing from center to right tackle, all missing. And just a bunch of players rotating in and out, trying to find a combo that would work. And I think by the second half, they had it cleaned up. And I was actually impressed even early in the game with the pocket they were building for Charlie. I thought the offensive line did a really good job of developing a clean pocket for Charlie to step up and make throws. Charlie obviously doing a lot more of those very intentional designed three-step drop, plant your foot, throw the ball to a spot kind of routes that Coach Fedora is going to use. But the offensive line overall, I thought, protected Charlie really well. And when he did have to move, he had plenty of space to scramble and make a play, which is what he does best. Offensive line did do a good job clearing holes for the talented running backs. And I got to say, overall, I'm pretty happy with it. Already talked a little bit about the defensive line, but outstanding. Got pressure on the quarterback all night long. T.J. Franklin, in particular, looked outstanding. I actually mentioned him in the article as someone who might be a breakout player for the Bears this year. I still feel that way. Again, uh, our defensive line athletically should beat that Kansas offensive line. Now this week, you go play a better defensive line and a better offensive line at West Virginia. It's almost like going to level two. It will be interesting to see how this defensive front does against West Virginia. But overall, uh, very thrilled with how Baylor played up front. Uh, I thought they did everything they needed to do. So overall, I'm giving Baylor really high marks in this game. Uh, I thought they looked great. So that was my article, but just a couple of other general observations from this game against Kansas, and then we're going to welcome in John Werner. One, the targeting rule drives me nuts, and I get it. I I totally am not against limiting head-to-head contact. Too many players have been hurt that way. I actually took a couple of hits that way in my very, very brief football junior high and high school career. Um, It's not fun. It can be scary. Bad things happen. Let's limit helmet-to-helmet contact. But this has happened multiple times. It happened to Chris Miller on a couple of his targeting penalties, and it happened to Christian Morgan. A good quarterback can force a targeting penalty. At this point, a good quarterback can force a targeting penalty. He can literally manipulate a targeting penalty into happening. And we've seen it over and over now. Christian Morgan didn't do anything wrong. Okay? He did nothing wrong. When I saw the play live, I thought, ah, crap, right? I mean, because clearly... Uh, Daniel's head snapped back and it looked bad and I thought oh crap you know but then you watch the replay and I watched it several times on the screen in, in the stadium and I heard similar sentiment from some of you who were watching on TV Morgan led with the shoulder he was not leading with his helmet 
had the quarterback not slid, the shoulder would have landed somewhere around his numbers, okay? And it would have been a really clean hit and a clean tackle. And the quarterback sees Morgan coming in with the shoulder and at the last possible instant gets down in a slide. And the shoulder and the side of Morgan's helmet collide with Daniel's head and it's a targeting penalty. And that bothers me. And uh, I won't belabor it too much longer. I know we all are familiar with this rule and the consequences. I think you've got to change it somehow. And I, I want to protect quarterbacks, but I feel like if you if you start your slide, here it is. This is just as simple as I can make it. If you start your slide before the defender initiates a tackle, you should be protected. But in this case, and in a lot of other cases I've seen, if you start your slide after the defender has already started the motion of a tackle, I think at that point, you, you can't call targeting. I just don't know how you do it. It's really unfair to the defender, in my opinion. How do you teach a guy to tackle if he leads with his shoulder, aiming for the numbers, and then a guy ducks into a targeting call? I just, and of course, what I just proposed leaves a lot of interpretation up to referees, which is not what you want, but I don't know, man. I was I was really bothered by the fact Christian Morgan game one gets a targeting call that feels just unfortunate, and now he's of course going to have to play with this worry, like Miller did, of this week against West Virginia, you can't get another one or you're suspended, and nobody wants that. And I don't want him playing with reservation either. I thought Christian Morgan actually looked like one of our best players on the field before that targeting call. Uh, did a really outstanding job and knew he would. I kind of said last week I thought he would be an excellent starter for this defense, but. Disappointed with that. I was really pleased to see Dave Aranda have so much energy on the sideline. I, I don't know why that was a concern for some Baylor fans with his persona off the field, uh, but obviously Dave Aranda, very calm and collected and, and almost mild in person off the field, but it was clear Saturday night that on the field he's a fireball of energy and excitement and looked really in control. I mean, he looks like a head coach. He did. Uh, really, just the more I see of Aranda, the more I hear of him, the more I like him. I liked overall, and I said this a little bit just a second ago, but I'll say it again. I liked the mentality that Baylor had in this game, the aggressiveness, okay? So uh, I already mentioned the defensive calls, the amount of blitzes and aggressiveness Baylor had on defense. But it was the same on offense. I liked that we went for every fourth and one. Okay? I mean, analytics already tell you that's the better way to go. And against Kansas, I think you know you can get that just about every time. I think if you're in a chess match against an Oklahoma, uh, maybe you, you're you a little more conservative if it's fourth and one in your own territory. But against Kansas, it was like there was no doubt. Like that offense was going to stay on the field on a fourth and one. And I think that is such a good sign. I mean, that's how I like football to be played. I like that Fedora and Aranda are confident enough in an offensive line that was missing three starters <laughs> to go for those fourth and ones, and we converted on all of them. So absolutely loved just the mentality that this coaching staff has. It was a more aggressive mentality than we're used to with Rule, and yet what I liked about Rule's mentality was the confidence he showed in the players, and I felt that from this staff as well. They just showed tremendous confidence in Baylor's players to execute despite it being game one, and I think that's going to serve them well as this season goes on. 
No doubt there will be moments where we're disappointed as the season goes on in some of these decisions, but I think I am typically going to agree with the more aggressive go-win-the-game decision than the conservative stay-in-the-game decision. And Aranda and company made those decisions and really likes the mentality of this Baylor football team. Some of you, maybe all of you, are thinking, Scotty, why haven't you talked about Treston Ebner? We will talk about Treston Ebner. I'm going to save that for after this interview. Let me bring on now a guy that I really respect, a guy that has been doing it at a high level for a long time in Waco, covering the Baylor Bears for the Waco Tribune, Harold. I'm going to bring on John Werner. want to just give you a real quick heads up here. Uh, John Werner joined us via Zoom, and we captured his audio from that Zoom call. And there are three moments in this interview where we lose John's audio for anywhere from like four to 10 seconds. And I've replaced those gaps with some white noise. And so when you hear that white noise, that's just taking up those gaps so that we don't sit there in silence for 10 seconds. I want to apologize to John for that error. Uh, It happens sometime over Zoom, but uh, you're not going to miss many of John's thoughts, fortunately. I don't think you missed too much of what he said. But anyway, when you hear the white noise, that's what that's for. Without further ado, here's John Werner. Well, let's get started here. Uh, Very thankful that John Werner, Waco Tribune Herald, is joining us this week on Please Bear With Me. And John, before I jump into Saturday night's game and reaction to all of that, just want to say thanks for coming on. And uh, I've wanted to be part of the sports media since I was very young. And when I think back to, to people that have influenced me that direction, growing up in Waco, the two names that have just been constant are John Morris and you thank you absolutely i mean i've been i've been reading your football and basketball write-ups for baylor since i was very young so tell my audience real quick as we get started just how long you've been covering the bears for the trib and and what a journey that's been for you yeah uh well i got to the trib in uh, 1982 i started covering men's basketball in 87. football i i was kind of the number two guy uh with jerry hill uh, until 2008, and then I took over the football beat, too. So, uh, yeah, you know, I also do soccer, softball, whatever they need me to do. So uh, that's been great. And, you know, this last decade's been pretty remarkable for Baylor Athletics. So, uh, you know, th- these have really been the best years. Yeah, and speaking of that, and that's, by the way, for, for my audience, and, and not to make you feel old, John, but I was born well, in old. 19... Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, was, I was born in 1992, so oh, okay. when I say I've read your stories my entire life, it's easily, literally been my entire life. Right. Uh, so in all that time, you talked about this last decade, and, and it certainly has had some very, very incredible highlights and some, some really wild low points. Um, when you think back on all of that time since 82... A couple of the wildest plays, moments, games that stand out in your mind. For me, being being my age, I think of I was at the game with some pretty good seats for the Quincy AC charge, uh, no charge call there yeah. versus versus Duke. Um, I think of Sean Bell throwing that pass to beat Texas A&M. I obviously think of Robert Griffin and, and all of uh, the Heisman moments and the Big 12 championships a couple years after that. What stands out in your mind? Well, you know, 61 to 58, Baylor over TCU. <laughs> Heck yeah. 2014. Heck yeah. yeah, that's about as wild as it can get. And uh, yeah, that was uh, unbelievable. Um, yeah, that game, um, well, the 
RG3 against Oklahoma, uh, where he hits Terrence Williams for the touchdown to win it. And I mean, that that's probably the most, uh, maybe the most meaningful game I've watched because I think that gave pretty much clinched the Heisman for RG3. So, you know, that, that was big. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of them. I mean, you know, tons of basketball games. Of course, Scott Drew's been there 17 years, and he's done an amazing job. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been fun. It's funny to me that – and I'm taking a little tangent, and we'll get back to football here. It's funny to me that Scott Drew, there's still, there's still some tiny fragment of the Baylor fan base that doesn't seem satisfied with Scott Drew. And I do not understand <laughs> because, oh, I don't because the man has done nothing but, but one, have just the character and integrity that you want in a leader, but two, win basketball games and get excellent recruits. And uh, I was actually talking to a, a guy that works for Fox Sports nationally uh, doing radio a radio program, and, and he said he talked to Scott Drew and was just blown away. And I think Scott Drew is, after 17 years, finally starting to get some of the national publicity and credit that he really deserves. Yeah, you know, I think some fans compare men's basketball to women's basketball here. Of course, you know, Kim's they're in Oakland sports. Uh, you know, they're, they're just two different sports, basically. Right. Uh, uh, but yeah, Scott's uh, done a great job, you know, Kim's obviously done a great job. Uh, but, yeah, Scott, I mean, man, uh, you, you look where that basketball program was when he was there. Nobody really wanted the job. I mean, it was about as low as you can get. And, uh, you know, and he, he slowly built it, you know, by year five that he had him in the NCAA tournament. You know, they've been doing great ever since, and they might have their best years coming up the next few years. They've, you know, they're going to be ranked number one or two in right. the preseason. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got maybe his best recruiting class coming in in uh, 21. So, I mean, there's, there's going to be some really good things coming up here. No doubt, no doubt. And we will talk more Baylor basketball as, as we get closer to that time. Hey, so we've talked a lot about your history in Waco covering Baylor. Treston Ebner does something Saturday night that no Big 12 athlete has ever done. Scores three different types of touchdowns, four touchdowns in total, two kickoff returns in the same game. Only Baylor player in history to do that, which really surprised me when I heard that, but I guess it shouldn't be too surprising. It only happens once in a blue moon. So uh, compared to all of the other historic performances you've seen for Baylor, how does Treston Ebner stack up? Well, I'd say individually, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'd say probably the top five or something like that. Yeah, I mean, gosh, score three different ways like that. Two kickoff returns in the second half for touchdowns. I mean, it really doesn't get much better than that. And, uh, but yeah, you know, coming in, Coach Aranda was saying, you know, he's going to use Ebner in a variety of ways. They're going to try to get a lot out of him. And boy, did they ever. <laughs> yeah, outstanding player, outstanding athlete. Obviously, uh, I, it's been well told by now. Every most Baylor fans know played wide receiver in high school, and then has evolved into just this multi-tool player. Kind of in the form, you know, in the NFL, that's getting more and more popular. Having the Christian McCaffrey or now Clyde Edwards-Alaire type back that can catch out of the backfield, return, also run up between the tackles. Really incredible stuff. So, what were your impressions overall of this Baylor team after Game One? Kind of hard to tell when you're playing a team that's as down as Kansas. Kansas is right now but but overall I mean did what they had to do 
Um, what what were your impressions overall of this football team offensively and defensively? Yeah, well, you know, uh, since they hadn't played before, um, the start was a little slow. I mean, Kansas, uh, you know, pretty much just ran right through them on that first drive. But after that, they made some adjust- adjustments defensively. Uh, they started uh, mixing some things up. I got some pretty good pressure on the quarterback. Uh, you know, Terrell Bernard had a great game. Uh, you know, two two and a half sacks, three and a half tackles for loss. He had, you know, one, one tackle for a safety. Uh, he really led that defense. And, uh, you know, T.J. Franklin got a sack. William Bradley King contributed to a sack. So uh, that was the biggest question coming in to me was, can they get a pass rush? And uh, they got a pretty good one. And it got better as the game went on. Uh, offensively, uh, of course, they were down three starting offensive linemen. So, uh, you know, they, they basically use maybe six, seven guys, something like that, and they got better as the game went on. Uh, I, you know, and, uh, let's see, well, yeah, Charlie went out for a little bit in the second quarter. He bruised his quad, but he came right back. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I, I thought he had a pretty good night, uh, maybe not as good as a lot of his games, but I, I think he's still maybe trying to adjust to Coach Fedora's offense. You could see, like, he could have run for maybe like 10 yards. And, uh, and it's like he hesitated a little bit. But in the second half, uh, he started running a little more when he saw an opening. So I, I think that's always going to be part of Charlie's game. And, uh, well, and then, of course, uh, special teams were <laughs> – they were off the charts good. Uh, they uh, – yeah, besides Edner's uh, kickoff returns, Mayers hit a 47-yard field goal in the second quarter. An incredible punt by uh, Isaac Power in the, to start the fourth quarter. Penn, Kansas at the one. Two plays later, Bernard uh, gets the sack for the safety. So really, all three phases were, were really good. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, those are pretty good omens coming into their first road game. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think what you like to see from Charlie coming back to that is – in the second half, there was a series where he scrambled twice in a row, uh, got over 10 yards on each, went out of bounds on the first, and then slid it for the second. And that's what you want to see is, please use your legs. Please protect yourself. Because, that I mean, that guy is uh, pretty much the undisputed leader of this offense. Uh, uh, i got to say, that guy is – Charlie, he really knows how to slide. I, 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 th- <laughs> I mean, he, he's got that down. I mean, when he decides to slide, he – you know – it's pretty good. It's so funny, John. I, and we're again. I'll chase this rabbit a little bit, and we'll get back to it. But I had never comprehended before that a quarterback wouldn't know how to slide. And that might sound silly, but I uh, I grew up playing baseball, and I just kind of assumed that most Texas kids at some point, you know, played little league baseball or or maybe in high school a- until Robert Griffin. And Robert Griffin, as as you will remember. There was some talk about he doesn't know how, and he looked really awkward at times, trying to slide and avoid contact. And uh, so, so he you know was what? a crack guy, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and there's no reason to slide ever in on a track that would be disastrous. But yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I haven't even thought about that. At least Charlie knows how, as opposed to some other guys who really struggle. That's funny, man. Uh, well, hey, you know, we talked a lot about defense and special teams and the excellence Baylor showed in both 
uh, Saturday night. That's something that's carried over from the previous coaching staff. Matt Rule obviously really emphasizing the defensive side of the ball and really emphasizing special teams, all the blocked kicks and what have you uh, with his teams. And Baylor, I think, very, very intentionally and wisely goes and hired a guy as the new head coach who has much the same philosophy, that being, of course, Dave Aranda. You have been up close and personal to Dave Aranda, much more so than myself for a lot of people just because you're right there in the local press. What are your impressions of Coach Aranda as a as a fit and as a coach? And now after game one, you've seen him a little bit on the sideline. Uh, just talk to me about Coach Aranda. Yeah, uh, well, he's, he's different from a lot of uh, football coaches. He, he doesn't get real loud. Uh, he doesn't get in players' faces. Uh, he, he's very philosophical about a lot of stuff. Uh, <clears throat> you know, during the pandemic, of course, they couldn't be there practicing together for a long time. So he really got to know the guys on Zoom, you know, and, uh, you know, he'd ask them about their family, you know, things they like, you know, things they don't like. Really got to know the person. And uh, <clears throat> I think maybe that will kind of uh, maybe help him uh, maybe find ways to, to motivate different guys uh, just, you know, cause everybody's different. And uh, yeah, um, I think he made a couple really great hires. Uh, coach Fedora, uh, Huge. head coaching experience, had a really successful run at North Carolina. Uh, Ron Roberts, defensive co- coordinator, been around a long time. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of their ideas mesh defensively. So I don't think that was a big transition for Coach Aranda. Uh, but, yeah, I like him. Um, he's, <clears throat> he's, uh, he's really a, a big X's and O's guy. And you can tell that when he interviews uh, with the media. I mean, he gets really deep into X's and O's. And, and he also gets really deep into philosophy, you know, just motivating. So, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's different. Uh, I like him a lot, and I think he's a great hire. Yeah, I think he's awesome, and I, I'll tell you, John, I, and I've said this before, but the moment I knew he was the right hire was when he convinced Joey McGuire to stay on staff, <laughs> yeah. right? Because, right. I mean, you, you talk about, I mean, a guy that all the players are tweeting, we want Coach McGuire. Uh, most of the fan base is saying, we want Coach McGuire to be our next head coach, right? And what a story that would be if – a university like Baylor hires this Texas high school legend to be their head coach. And then of course they went a different direction. And when he managed to get McGuire to stay, that just spoke very highly to me of his character. And another thing, the first thing out of your mouth was about how he's more quiet and more cerebral, but he got pretty fired up on the sideline a few times Saturday night, which, which to me was like, okay, this man is very calm and cool around anybody, but you put him on a football field and he knows how to coach for sure. I, I think there was a lot of pent-up energy that was waiting to come out, not just from him, but from the players. I think they were just really pumped to be out there. Yeah, I totally agree. So coming up uh, this weekend, Baylor travels to Morgantown. Morgantown traditionally is a place that I am terrified for my team to go play. <laughs> of course, going to be a little different this go-round with COVID restrictions and what have you. But West Virginia coming off a loss to a very good Oklahoma State team. I don't think Baylor should overlook this West Virginia team, especially playing in Morgantown. The Stills brothers still on that defensive front, making big plays. Um, I think Coach Neil Brown is one of the most underrated coaches in America, doing really good things there. How do you anticipate this trip going? And just from your perspective, what are a couple of keys for Baylor if they're going to come out of Morgantown with a win this Saturday? 
Yeah, um, it will be interesting with no fans because that their fans really have an impact on the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, they've got pretty crazy fans. So uh, that, that's definitely going to help Baylor <laughs> not have any fans there. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they hadn't won there. And uh, the last time was pretty bad. It might have been the worst game of Coach Rule's career at Baylor. They got, mm-hmm. they got stomped. But, it, you know, things are much different now. And uh, it, it's going to be a tough game. And, uh, you know, their first road trip, uh, you know, they got to th- – you know, the COVID adds a whole different layer of, uh, oh, I don't know, concern, um, just the way you got to uh, approach things. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how they handle the road trip. And uh, – but, yeah, yeah, obviously it's a game Baylor could win – uh, I think it's going to be a really hard one, though, because it just always is when you go there. And as far as keys, uh, Baylor should have some offensive linemen back this week, so I think that'll help. Yeah, just uh, I'd say if they can just keep doing some of the things they did against Kansas, I mean, great special teams play would help. Uh, you know, Baylor didn't force any turnovers. Uh, they might that might help. You know, this time uh, probably come maybe some key situations where in a close game you might need a turnover so uh but yeah uh it's it's gonna be different with no fans john it's not just been a crazy year for the world or even just two games postponed canceled for baylor but it has been a bizarre beginning to this big 12 schedule kansas state losing in the first week in a disappointing fashion and then coming back to beat Oklahoma. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, Oklahoma State struggles to put Tulsa away a couple weeks ago. Texas and Texas Tech go to overtime. You know, after Texas Tech struggles against Houston Baptist, I mean, it's always been a competitive league. I don't think it's ever been more difficult to just predict what's going on. How do you see some of this shaking up as we move forward? And I know we've got a long way to go, but – Um, With Oklahoma taking a loss, it looks like the conference is wide open for anybody to just come in there and take. How do you anticipate this season going, and how does Baylor play into all of that? Yeah, I I think it's just going to be wacky the whole year. Uh, Nothing's gone as normal. Um, You know, the the COVID issues, that's going to keep players out of practice. I mean, you don't know who's uh, in court, too. So, uh, you know, that, that was a real stunner. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be crazy. I mean, obviously tech should have won that game. They had a 15 point lead and late in the game. Uh, but, uh, yeah, as far as Baylor, uh, I mean, their, their schedule's harder than last year. So it's a little, a little hard to predict, you know, they, they got to go to Texas, OU, West Virginia, Iowa state, and then they go to tech for the first time in 12 years. So that's a pretty tough road schedule. And, uh, and I think it's just going to be more difficult to be on the road with all the COVID issues you have to, to work around. So I, I think this, this weekend will be a pretty good test for them, just the way they handle everything, you know, just in this kind of new world we're living in. To me, if Baylor finishes over 500, that's a pretty good year, considering the road schedule and everything else that's going on. But yeah, it's, yeah I'd still say OU's the favorite, even though they lost. But gosh. It's the whole year is going to be wacky. It's going to be unpredictable. 
Yeah, and so you actually answered a follow-up question I had. You actually think it's more difficult to go on the road this season because some people have said, wow, Baylor got a break. We, we have Ames, we have Morgantown, we have Austin, we have Lubbock, and there's going to be less fans. But you're saying that actually might add to well, no, the disadvantage. I think not having as many fans will help the, the team going on the road. But that's a hard schedule. That, that's a much – tougher schedule road schedule than they had last year oh yeah yeah, yeah. so that, that's what i'm saying okay for sure well hey that's about all the direct questions i had for you any final thoughts you have that that we haven't hit on kansas on west virginia on baylor i mean last words from you <laughs> well i'm looking forward to the road trip uh i've waited to make my hotel reservation yeah i don't blame you <laughs> <laughs> But I don't think it's going to be hard to get a hotel in Morgantown. <laughs> I think there'll be some rooms open. Yeah, I think you'll be safe. Yeah, but yeah, you know, you just kind of hope. Uh, to me, the, the big hurdle is actually playing. So, uh, you know, I'm just hoping most of the games will go on, you know, as scheduled. Absolutely. Well, hey, John Warner, thanks so much for joining us. It's been my pleasure. And, and man, we, we need you at the Trib for another 38 years. Good uh, grief. Hey. I don't think I'm going to be around that long. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, an ode to Tristan Ebna. This past Saturday, Baylor's Tresson Ebner did something that no player in the history of the Big 12 Conference has done. He scored three kinds of touchdowns, getting a rushing touchdown, a receiving touchdown, and not one, but two kick returns for touchdowns. The Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Tyreek Hill has often talked about wanting to race against a cheetah. Now he wants to race against Tristan Ebner. And Vegas favors Ebner by a stride. After seeing how well Tristan Ebner does on his kick returns, Donald Trump, the President of the United States, asked Ebner if he would handle his tax returns. Ebner declined. Warner Brothers has been looking to make a picture documenting the life of Reggie Bush and the controversy around his Heisman Trophy and thought that they would never find an athlete capable of replicating Reggie Bush's speed and quickness on the football field. But now they have their leading man, Tressan Ebner will play Reggie Bush in the upcoming biopic. When he leaves Baylor and goes pro, Charmin, ultra soft, has offered Tristan millions in endorsements in honor of his ultra soft hands. Remember that Charmin's slogan is, best for bare bottoms. Baylor track coaching legend Clyde Hart is coming out of retirement under the condition that Tristan Ebner would be willing to run the 400 meter for Baylor this spring. Ebner is considering, but of course will also be preparing to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. 
Looks like Tristan Ebner got an invitation from Robert Griffin to have dinner at the Nissan Heisman house. Ebner, the first non-Heisman winner to eat dinner in the house. What does that mean for the Heisman Award at the end of this season? Who knows, but my money's on Ebner. Speaking of Heisman Trophy winners, it looks like the Cleveland Browns are going to move on from quarterback Baker Mayfield as sources have reported to Adam Schefter that the Browns will be looking to draft Treston Ebner as their franchise quarterback. Ebner, of course, has not completed a pass yet in his collegiate career, but the Browns have confidence in his ability after seeing his performance Saturday night that he's better than Baker. Kendall Jenner spotted on Miami Beach on Sunday afternoon wearing a Treston Ebner jersey. Who knows how she got a hold of the jersey so fast. But on Instagram today, Jenner says, Treston, will you go out with me? The Bears running back says he is opposed to dating during the season, but will be reaching out to Jenner at the season's conclusion. America's newest power couple? I think so. This just in. Anthony Fauci has reported to CNN that the cure for the coronavirus might just be found in the blood of one Treston Ebner. He is expected to go into the lab this week for testing, but good news, the coronavirus is on its way out because Treston Ebner is on his way in. And finally, during the pandemonium on Saturday night, Melissa Smith, a Baylor graduate, tweeted, Husband and I seriously discussed naming our firstborn Treston. Hey, we're going to get out of here. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's edition of Please Bear With Me. Hope you enjoyed it. The Please Bear With Me theme and transition music is brought to you by Iron Kids. Check out Iron Kids anywhere you stream music. The dramatic music you heard during the Ode to Trust and Ebner is brought to you by Unique, U-N-I-Q. Check him out on YouTube. Want to make sure we credit him. Thanks to Tim Watkins and Baylor247 for making this possible. My name's been Scotty Swingler. This is Please Bear With Me. See you next week. Second Bears. <laughs>